I met Robert about two and a half years ago, and um, he reminds me so much, his friendship reminds me so much of Dr. Ron Hamilton, who he and I were we're tight for so many years at Seacoast. He's actually, he's going to be at, we're going to Garden City this afternoon as the, the staff retreat starts. So y'all be praying about that as we plan out the whole year next year. He's going to show up down there and help us, uh, help us with that a little bit. And it's going to be, it's going to be incredible. But uh, what you, what you find is a guy who loves the word of God, who will not compromise, who is holding himself to a high standard and trying to be what he talks, and uh, and uh, has a, a kindred spirit. Every time I I'd listen to him, I think I was listening to myself. You know, I was like, "Dang on!" I would say something like that. That's kind of crazy. You're nuts. <laughs> well, just to give you an idea of what kind of influence this guy has, if you're from West Stanley or you come to this church this morning because of Robert Ridd, would you stand up? At, this time. Go ahead and stand, everybody that's here. All right, there you go. That's pretty cool, isn't it, brother? That's pretty amazing. That is called the grace of God. That's the grace of God. That's the power of God that can work through your circumstances, no matter what. I'm reminded this year that God's mercy triumphs over judgment. And that he, he delights in mercy. He wants to pour mercy out on you, not judgment. So if you'll just go, if you'll just go to him, his mercy is available. Amen. So Robert's not a preacher, he'll tell you. And so he's just like you. If I were to give you a mic and say, come preach, you would be nervous, would you not? So we need to knock some of that nervous edge off. Why don't we give a, a, a hearty east side welcome to Robert Britt as he comes and shares God's word at his heart. I'm going to slide this up just a little bit to get me in the light so I can see a little bit better. The only way I can top that is if I don't open my mouth and screw that up, so... That's, uh, you're giving me way too much credit there. Dr. Hamilton or Ron um, was one of the first folks that I heard speak here at Eastside when uh, we started visiting back in February, March, whenever he was here. And uh, wow, that sermon that he gave that, that spring was phenomenal. So uh, I don't deserve that. Just before I get started, I wanted to recognize that's my mom and dad right there behind Alex and Liz. So. <clears throat> Mom's had kind of a rough year with her health, and so it's good to see her out and about, and the Lord's good to us. And then um, the only other thing I wanted to mention, just kind of personal before I kind of get into what the Lord's laid on my heart, is um, 20 years ago today, I was blessed beyond measure. Um, I, think about, um, I think about what a canyon is, and a canyon is wide, and it's deep, and it's shaped by being exposed to the elements and by running water, running through it and, and, uh, and shaping it into to what it is. And today is my son, Canyon. Uh, he's 20 years old today, so happy birthday to him. And Kristen Love, I think it's your birthday too, so happy birthday to you too. Um, I think when Alex asked me to come speak, I think it was actually Anna that made the phone call to me to come speak. I didn't have a beard, and apparently that is a 
prerequisite to come and speak at Eastside because everybody here has got beards. So uh, it took me a while to get ready for today. And um, I'm just so thankful. I was talking to my mom last night on the phone, and I said, you know, it's, it's really cool because uh, being at, at Christian ministry that I run down in Stanfield, um, you know, from time to time I get asked to go speak at different churches, and I get to go speak at those churches. And when they first asked me to come speak here, when y'all, when we were first asked to come speak here, I thought, well, you know, i got to speak at Eastside, but Eastside's my church, and that excites me, that it's not going to speak at a, somebody that I don't know, that this, you guys are family to me, I love you, man, we, I was thinking this morning on the way up here, uh, last December, I didn't even know where Eastside was, uh, I knew Alex, but I didn't really know where the church was, and didn't know anything about it, and today it is home for us, and, uh, and that's really what I wanted to talk about today was the church, uh, this church, and the church in general, it's, it's the last Sunday of 2015. Uh, the next time we get back together will be 2016, and we'll be in a new year. And as Alex said, the leadership's getting ready to go from Eastside and uh, seek God's face, like really seek God's face. I mean, they're not going down there just to, you know, break out some planning things and, and make it just a very uh, static uh, conversation about where this church is going. They're going to seek the Lord uh, and where the Lord is leading us, and that is rare. And, as, you know, this year has been kind of scary. You know, if you watch the news and you see all that's happening in the world with you know, terrorist activity, and the weather's gone nuts, and there's financial crisis everywhere, and uh, it can be kind of scary, and I believe, I believe that the church of Jesus Christ is the only place where any hope can be found. In a world that's just going crazy and going nuts, and, uh, and people are, I mean, so many people I come in contact with, and, and you too, if you minister to folks very long, you find out that anxiety is thriving, Anxiety is rich and well, and it keeps people locked down. I mean, I've, I've, I've talked to folks, and it's like all they can do to muster up enough courage to leave their house for a loaf of bread and come scurrying back as quickly as they can. And the enemy just keeps us beat down with that. And I think the church uh, really holds the key uh, to helping people get free of that. We have, the, we have the hope of nations. We have Christ Jesus. You know, I was thinking as we were, we were singing and you know, this church likes to worship. This morning was tame, Mom and Dad. I mean, they, might, they might have tamed it down just for you guys. Uh, but this morning was tame, but it was such a sweet spirit. But it, I was thinking, you know, Michael, you do such a great job of leading us. And we have a God that came down at Christmas, Emmanuel, God with us. And he lived, and he, and he showed us the way, and he bled, and he died, and then he went into a tomb, and he came out alive. I, mean, I just think that's worth celebrating. Whatever that looks like, I just think that's worth just getting crazy about. Um, so as we uh, came to Eastside uh, last year, earlier this year, I guess, um, we really felt called out of our previous church. We weren't sure exactly where we were going, but we just knew that we were supposed to be doing something, and we started visiting here. And we could have done a lot of things. We could have a lot of people, when they have church stuff go on, they tend to break down and they start wanting to redefine what church looks like. I could have easily made my church my ministry. I could have easily said, you know what, that's going to be my fellowship. That's going to be everything that I need. I can get right here at the ministry where I can control everything and it goes my way, all these ideas. And we just don't get that luxury. We don't get to redefine and create our God. We don't get to redefine and create our Christ, and we don't get to redefine and create our church. And so I just wanted to talk to you guys about that this morning. And really just, the Lord just really laid this whole thing on my mind, uh, on my heart uh, to bring this morning. So I hope, that it, I hope that it makes some kind of sense to you and that it speaks to you just about why we do church, what we do, why bother 
why even gather? The reason that we bother to get together as a group is because that's what Jesus did. And our job is to be conformed to the image of him. He is our role model. And, and multiple times in scripture, it'll say that Jesus went to the temple as he was accustomed to doing. Uh, it's what he did. And we gather together corporately because we're instructed to. And the Bible says don't forsake gathering together uh, as some are in the habit of doing. Uh, so we want to continue to do that, that fellowship is, is here together as a body of Christ. But I wanted to look at a couple of passages of Scripture. Um, if you could pull that up, uh, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19 is the first Scripture that I want to look at about just why the church exists. And this, there's two, two different places in this morning that I'm going to speak to you from this. And the first one is here. It just says, um, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Who do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Which, by the way, that's a question that everybody has to answer uh, in, in their lifetime. And so I uh, just want to point that out. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Let me just stop right there. Peter confesses who Jesus is, and Jesus says, on that right there, that's what we're going to build the church on. That truth you just said, that I am the Son of God, that's what we're going to build the church on. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I thought about that imagery this morning, even this morning as I was on my way in. And we think about hell coming at us. We think about the enemy, you know, bringing it. At, but, uh, but that says the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, the gates are up to keep something out. Jesus goes on to say this, listen to this, you guys, this is this like rich in truth. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to build my church, and then I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And as I kind of finish that thought that I had earlier, I think about just unlocking heaven with the keys that God's given us and that just come rushing out and the gates of hell can't prevail against it. And we don't have to we don't have to think about hell coming at us. Hell should be concerned about the church coming at it. And that is just what we're here for. I really think that's where Christ is like commissioning us. I mean, think about it. He's really, he's really saying being set apart. I, that last verse is, to me, is really a, um, it's, re you can, it's really a teaching on free will. What he's saying is, all right, I'm establishing the church. I'm giving you the, kings of the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And if you use them, I'll honor that. And if you don't, I'm not going to force my way in. In other words, what you bind, what you allow and don't allow, I'm going to allow that to happen in heaven as well powerful, powerful stuff. And so we want to think about what needs to be bound and what needs to be loosed and not get those two things confused because I think sometimes the church does. The church is supposed to be set apart. And I think as we move into this next year and we, 
and we continue to grow and we continue to focus on what the Lord wants us to do as a body of believers, and if this is a, if you're visiting here from another church, this still you're still part of the Church of Christ, and so I just think that it's important for us to remember that what we bind will be bound and what we loose will be loosed. I had a conversation with a lady about two months ago. We were trying to take a day or two to get away, and she said, I just want to talk to you, Robert, because I'm really concerned, and she started sharing about how she felt like the enemy, I don't want to, I'm not going to make this political, the enemy was doing its best to redefine marriage. What's going on? Marriage is degrading, marriage is degrading, marriage is degrading, and I said, hang on a second. Listen, what the church has bound on earth is bound in heaven, and what the church has loosed on earth has been loosed in heaven. So as the church has loosened its grip on what marriage is supposed to look like and what should be tolerated and not tolerated, the Lord's honored that. He said, if that's what you want, that's what you'll get. And so we need to just kind of think about that. You know, you talked about walking what you claim to believe. That's my testimony. That's how the Lord called me, called, saved me from hell. He said, you need to either start living what you claim to believe or just quit claiming to believe it. That's true for us. That's true for the church. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Set apart. We're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to look like the world. So that's kind of, in my notes, that's kind of the reason for all of this existing. So then the next question that I had was, how do we accomplish it? Where does the, where does the power come from? Where does the authority come from? Jesus said in uh, Matthew 28, what we know is the Great Commission, he said, all authority has been given to me. And in Luke 9, he sends uh, the disciples out, and he gives them authority, and he gives them power over the forces of hell and over the things that they were going to come in contact with, how to pray for the sick and pray against demons and oppression and all the things that are going on. But he starts talking about his second coming. He starts talking, they start asking him about the return. What's it going to look like? What's it going to be like? And he, um, if you'll pull up Mark 13, 34, here it is. He says, this is, no, this is about the second, this is about his return. He says, it's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. This is, this is Jesus' words about his second coming, and he's looking at his followers, and he says, <laughs> it's like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants. That's me, and that's you. He's given us the authority to continue the kingdom work, the heavenly work. The church is supposed to be a place where heaven meets earth. We got the keys, right? We just read that. And then, then he says, you've got the authority, and I've given you a job, and now keep watch. And that's what we're supposed to be doing, just moving forward in that. That we can't do it without the Holy Spirit. When Jesus left, he says, better that I go so that I can send the Holy Spirit to you. And when he, when he sent the Holy Spirit to us, that's where, we get our, that's where we get our guidance. That's where we get our discernment. That's where we get everything we need to do, everything God's given us to do. That's how we do the work that was just up there. That's how we do that. I, uh, I thought about trying to do things without the Lord in it. And you can do things without the Lord. You can do good things without the Lord. The way I say it is you can do good things, and that's got one too many O in it. They're good, but they're not God. They're not bad things, but the Lord's not in it. Uh, Alex has, has taught me so much personally, but he, he talks about unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers work 
in vain, that there's still work that's going on. There's still, a, there's still something getting done. The Lord's just not in it. Jesus talks about people at the end of times when he's before judgment, and they say, Lord, didn't we do this in your name, and didn't we do that in your name? Didn't we do all these good things, and we, and we put the name, we just, you know, we kind of signed Jesus to it. We said, we did all these things in your name. He said, I don't even know you. So you can do good things, and they would, they're still not God things, if the Spirit's not giving the power. As I was trying to think about this point in kind of a, I just like kind of real-life pictures of things. And so, you know, I think, think about a little kid that's got a little jet engine, you know, and he's, or a little jet toy, and he's flying it around through his house, and he's zooming, you know, that's, that's it. But, but the Holy Spirit in it is like Top Gun. You know, it's like, it's like a power or a, a big factory. If you ever watch these shows that show the big factories and all this stuff's moving and going on conveyor belts and, you know, lids are getting screwed on things and they're getting filled up and all this stuff's going on. Just think about that thing, just the power being pulled out. All this potential to get something done, but no power to bring it about in the right way. So where does the provision come from? Where does the, where do the resources come from? If we've got the power, we've got the mission, we've got, the, we've got the, the, the power and authority behind the mission, but where do those resources come from? Well, I had kind of a laundry list of things that I'm going to cover later, but the Lord actually showed me something here in the past couple of days from that first passage of Scripture, if you put it back up for me. I mean, ultimately, God's going to do it. But I just think this is very interesting to point out. Verse 16, Simon Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And flip to the next one, if you would. Jesus answered and said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And then he says, and I'm going to build my church on that. There's a truth, there. there's two truths there. There's a truth there that on that statement Peter made that Jesus is building his church. But here's, here's something that I think is really cool from a provision standpoint. Jesus said he was going to build the church, strengthen the church, bring it from the ground up on something the Father revealed. That as Peter received revelation from the Father, as Peter said, the Lord's showing me these things, and, I, and I'm sharing them with you, Jesus. Jesus says, that's how I'm going to build my church. As I reveal myself to my people, as they pursue me, as I come in contact with them, as I learn and grow, and as they, as they start to understand who I am, that's how I'm going to build my church, on revelation, on power. So how does that work? How do we get revelation? Well, that's kind of where my laundry list comes in, and I, and I was just kind of thinking about the different things that we can do. I think, you know, three, three very key things are sacrificial prayer, sacrificial fasting, and sacrificial giving. I don't think any of those three areas are optional for a committed believer. Jesus gave specific instructions, and as a matter of fact, when he started talking about the way you give and the way you fast and the way you pray, they're all right there together. And they're not in any type of order. I think they all work together. They're not optional. And I think, you know, for us at Eastside, I think a good place to start would be this week, you know. Our leadership is going to seek God's face. Could we be here to shore them up with sacrificial prayer, with sacrificial fasting, and sacrificial giving? This is, this is good stuff. I think this is it's important to Jesus. I mean, everything that I'm talking about this morning, 
I think this is of utmost importance to Jesus. He died for his bride. And we're called the body of Christ. And we can, we can make that little cliche and kind of sweet, or we can really take that very, very seriously and realize that we've got a heavenly father that did everything he could to make a way for you and me to be redeemed to him. And then, and then he gave us a blessing. He's like, give you all this power. And so let's, let's, let's step into that in this next year and, and, and walk through that a little bit. You know, just grow in who we are in Christ. Another thing that I thought about was we can, we can start to understand the difference between attendance and membership. I told you I like kind of little pictures. Here's the difference. Go to a Panthers game. You sit, in the, you sit in the stands and you watch. You're attending a game. You're down on the field in it. You're a member of the team. That's the difference. Attenders are observing. They are out to the side. They're not engaged. They're not really plugged in. Members, they're part of the team. Even if they're part of the team that's there in case another part of the team falls down and they need to go in and rush in and take their place. Just a, that difference between attending church and being a member of church. That we, want to, you know, we need to be plugged in. You need to be serving. And I'm going to go a little bit deeper into that here in just a second. I think one of the big ones is love, you know, just unconditional love. That's, that's, that's what was mirrored to us in Christ Jesus, and that's what we're supposed to mirror to our church. That you love me no, no matter if I'm saying what you want to hear, and doing what you want me to do, or if I'm not, that, that doesn't change. You may not like me, but you love me. I may not like you, but I love you. That we pour out our lives for each other. And that, and that our affections for each other aren't based on superficial things that can waver. Our affection for each other is rooted in who Christ Jesus is. And because you matter to him, I don't have an option but that for you to matter to me. And the same holds true for you. And we grow together as a body in, the, in that and then we, I think uh, one of the notes that I wrote was that you, we fully commit individually to the Lord. I think as you grow in your relationship with Christ, it's going to naturally lead you to a stronger commitment to your church. Why? Because your heart's going to be shaped more like Jesus's, and Jesus is crazy about his church. And so we can, we can become what we, what we are supposed to become. It's really about investing yourself in the church, your church, this church, wherever that is. That you, that you make an investment in prayer. You make an investment in love. You make an investment in giving. You're engaging with other believers. We're the bride of Christ. And I thought about that terminology and then just this whole idea that we take the things that he's taught us to do and we engage with the church. It's like a, the wheels of a, of a gear. You know, they come together and then, it, then that thing can do what it's supposed to do as those parts come together and work together. So I just want to encourage us to do that. And then I thought about the pastor's role in all this, the leadership. What does the leadership of a biblically-led church look like? <clears throat> the verse from uh, 1 Corinthians 11.1 1 came to mind, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Um, I think in a word, uh, as you start thinking about the leadership, it's, it's your pastor should look like Jesus. Your pastor should should look so much like Jesus that if I am if I am really pursuing Jesus, if you are really pursuing Christ, there should be something just incredibly spiritually attractive to him. That you should see, I mean, I'm just, I'm on my knees in the mornings. I'm in my Bible at night. 
I'm seeking the Lord, and when I am around our pastor, I see him seeking the Lord, and as he follows Christ, I want to follow him. That's the picture of a pastor, I think, and I believe that we have that. He's a, he's a shepherd. He's a little shepherd under the big shepherd, and he does the things that a shepherd does. I've never met anybody that I felt like genuinely cares about his flock like Alex does, and the other leadership here too, but I'm talking specifically about Alex. He, when your hearts are broken, his heart is broken. I don't know each and every one of you uh, intimately and closely. Uh, certainly not the way that Alex does, but I have spent a lot of time with him in the past two and a half years, and uh, the way he has spoken into my life. And when, when somebody here has lost someone or they're struggling with something they've got going on in their lives, a family issue, a wayward child, a spouse, whatever it is, I mean, I've literally seen him just, just cry over what's happening to his flock, and that's rare. It's not, a, it's not anything rooted in power or control. Our pastor loves Christ Jesus with everything he's got. He, he looks at, to the God that delivered him from all he needed deliverance from. And he wants that and believes that for, for you, for us. And that is so very powerful. He cares, he comforts, he feeds us, he protects us. And the Bible says that you know, he's responsible to give account for our souls. He takes that role very seriously. And he does a good job at it. So thank you for that, Alex. So the last little point that I wanted to make, or the last real big thing I think the Lord was showing me through this was what about me? What about you? What about us? What's our role? When we are saved, we're adopted into the family of God. He's, a, he's our good, good father. Uh, we, just, we just sang that. And so when we don't get to opt out of things that the family is supposed to be doing, and we don't get to sit back and let the enemy tell us everybody else takes care of that. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any way to serve. I don't, I don't have anywhere I fit in, but I enjoy going and, I, and enjoy the worship, and I, I love the Lord, but, you know, I, that's just not my thing, and I really can't, can't do that. I feel like I'm just kind of unplugged, and there's just no place in Scripture where there's a hermit or a solo or a, or a, or a separated Christian. I was talking to Alex last night. I said the only place that I can even get close to that, particularly in the New Testament, is Paul when he's in prison, and the whole time he was in prison, he was writing to his brothers and sisters. So this, this idea that we are part of a body, we're part of a family, and that we love each other is it's biblical, it's scriptural. If you'll pull up uh, 1 Corinthians 12, this is about the parts of the body of Christ. And it's interesting to note, too, you know, God could have just been God, Father. But that's not the picture that he gives us in Scripture. He gives us God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. God at his very core is in fellowship. Before you and I were ever created, he's in fellowship with himself. And when Adam was in the Garden of Eden, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he created woman. And it's not good for us to be alone. 
and, and everybody, this is, this is really where I wanted to kind of get to with this. Everybody has a purpose and a plan and is of vital importance to the church and to your brothers and sisters in Christ inside the church. It says, the human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, some are Gentiles, some are slaves, and some are free. But we've all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? If your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. I'm going to read that verse again. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. While the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. You know, if I'm in an accident this afternoon and I lose my little finger, tomorrow, most everything that I could do today, I can do tomorrow. But not as good as I can do it today. This is the picture that we have of the body of Christ. If you First, if you say, I don't have a gift, I don't have a place, I don't fit in, you know, all these things the enemy tells us, what you're really saying is, God, you messed up. You didn't know what you were doing when you created me. And that is rooted in so much pride, that God does not make mistakes, that as this body comes together and we start to function, every part doing the thing that it's designed to do, gifted to do, empowered to do, this church, the church, even outside of Eastside, will, will operate more efficiently, more effectively, more powerfully. I mean, all these, all these gifts, all these people, and I look out here on you guys and I see all these faces, and knowing each one of you has got things that you can do that I can't do. 
And, and maybe I've got some things that I can do that you can't do. That's what he brought us together for. That if everybody were an Alex, that would look crazy in a church. If everybody were a Robert, that would look crazy in a church. You don't want one big ear, one big mouth, one big head standing up here. <laughs> it takes everything to make it work. I've used this analogy many times when I've talked to my staff at the ministry about how we do things. And if I go to the bathroom and try to wash my hand, just one hand, I can get it a little bit clean, but I wouldn't want to eat with it. But if I take both my hands and make that action happen, then that works. That's, that's effective. That's efficient. That's powerful. That's how things get done and, and get done in a way that brings glory to the Father. I'm speaking about my body. I'm talking about the church. You know, I think about the way we do people. And if I take off across the parking lot and I don't think my legs are running as fast as they should, my body does not say, I don't want nothing to do with them legs. I'm not giving them any more blood. I'm not giving them any more nutrition. I'm not giving them any more attention. They're not carrying their weight, which is a lot. The camera adds 10 pounds. There must be like six or seven on me right now, right? Um, but we don't do that because what would happen? That leg or our legs would, they'd start to wither and they'd start to die and they would start to get infected. And yet we do that to the body of Christ. You know, we, we have people and we say, eh, eh, we're just going to pretend that's not there. And, uh, and, you know, anytime anything gets cut off, it withers and it dies and life just goes out of it. So we need to really, you know, the Lord, this is not by accident. The Lord knows what he's doing when he tells us these kinds of things. What happens when your left leg goes bum on you? Your right leg picks up the slack or your arm gets a crutch under it and, and, you, and you, you compensate for the injury, for the hurt place, for the, the spot in your body that's suffering and you do what you can to to bring I mean it doesn't really matter if you had an infected fingernail you know this little spot right here that was infected your whole body would be focused on I gotta get that thing looked at you know much less a big you know a lung problem a heart problem something like that but I mean you you care about what goes on on every part of your body if I could ask anybody in here you know can I cut something off this morning I don't think anybody would volunteer do you know what I'm saying so let's not be quick to cut our brothers and sisters in Christ off. Let's realize that the, that the plank in my own eye should be way more obvious than the speck in theirs. And realize that the Lord's got a long way to go in shaping Robert. And I've got a, I've got a long way to go in growing in him and learning how to hear from him and, and walking with him. And, and, I, and I just want to just, the grace and the forgiveness and the mercy that I need from you, I just want to extend that to you. And here's the thing, is that if we would all do that, Golly, I think, I think the world sometimes looks at the church and says, well, let's see. Everything in there looks the same as everything out here. So why would I want to be in there? And what we need to show the world is that there's something different in here. And that difference is Christ and his unconditional love. His, you know, we take, we take this 
commissioning that we've got the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And we take all these things that we've talked about to this point and we, we, just, we just use them to bring glory to him. The lighting's probably too bad in here for you to see your fingerprint. But at some point, for me and for the Lord, I want you to take some time today and look at your thumb. And look at your thumbprint. And, and realize this great truth that in, in collectibles and in antiques and all these things, that the rarer something is, the more value it has. And your thumbprint has never existed before and will never exist again. And so you have a special place in the Father's eye, whether that's Danny or Richard or Jason or whoever it is, he said, he took the time to say, this is how I want that thumbprint to look. And if he takes that kind of attention with your thumbprint, think about your other gifts. Think about everything else that he's given you. Everything else that he's given you to, to minister to other people, to take what we're talking about here out into the world and in your workplace and in the marketplace. You know, the Bible is full of one another's. I mean, all through the New Testament, it's love one another, serve one another, forgive one another. And I just think it's time that we latch on to that, that we have that compassion and that mercy towards each other, towards our brothers and sisters, and that we take this year, this coming year, and we say, we're not going to let the enemy attack us from inside. We're going to take the fight to him outside. And we're going we're gonna to be brothers and sisters in Christ here. I use this kind of word picture, I guess, in one of my devotions that I did at the ministry about where I want to, where I, I'll just say this, where I want to be in 2016 and, and the people that I want around me in the coming year. You, you can go to Walmart, you can go to Target, and you can go and you can buy these little we talk about, you know, we talk about scattering seeds. You know, when you're, we talk about that a lot. That's a, that's a thing we say, oh, I'm just dropping seeds. I'm just dropping seeds. And you can go to these places. You can buy these little kits, and there's like, you know, six little flower pots in there, you know, little tiny ones, and there's a little thing of dirt. And when you put the water in it, the dirt like swells up, and you put your seed in there, and, you know, hopefully out of six, maybe two or three come up and all that. And that is certainly planting seeds. But where I want to be, I want to be throwing the garage door open with a big combine. I, I want us to surround ourselves. I want, I want to be surrounded with people who know how to farm. To, that, you know, it's not just a wish and a prayer when they scatter a seed. Sometimes, you know, the Lord does, Lord does whatever he can do with all that. And, and, and he's, a, he's a God of impossibilities. I'm not shortchanging that. I'm just saying if we are really doing things for the glory of God. We take every gift, every individual, every resource that we have as a body of believers, and we say, we're going to put this into what we're called to do, to bring in heaven to earth. We're going to focus everything together and really make an impact. Farmers know how to get seeds out of the ground. Now, yeah, the Lord has to bring the rain, you know? So, I mean, even at that, even at that, the Lord has to do the Lord's part. But we, we can always get better, and we can be that kind of church.
here or wherever you attend church. I just want to see us do that. I just want to be a part of that. I don't think it's optional. I think, you know, kind of the way that I started out speaking to y'all this morning was that it's kind of like a snowball headed for hell, the world is. You know, it's just getting crazier and crazier and crazier. But if, if what this book teaches me is true, then we got the only thing that there is to bring peace into those situations, redemption into those situations, hope into those situations. It's been a tough week. My wife's father passed away uh, two days before Christmas. And Alex is absolutely right. I don't see myself as a public speaker, certainly not a preacher. And so this is way outside my comfort zone up here. And I was talking to Wendy, and I said, what do you want me to do about Sunday? You know, do you want me to just, you want me to just tell Alex to take that? Or, or do you, you know, do you just want to spend Sunday at home? It's Christmas. We've lost your dad. There's a lot to, to deal with. You just want to, do you just, not, do you, let's not go to church on Sunday. Just spend family time and just not go to church. She said, oh, no, I need my church right now. And within 24 hours of finding out that her dad had passed away, we were here on Christmas Eve worshiping the Lord because that's the kind of church that we have here and the kind of church that we feel drawn to. And so I just want us to move into that. So if you'd let me, I'd like us to just pray together. Will you all stand up and let's just pray together? I'm going to give you an out here. If you don't want to pray this, don't pray it. If you don't mean this, don't pray it. Because we're about to pray for the Lord to help us be committed to church. To help us be committed to what pleases him. To help us be committed to his bride, to his body. We're going to ask him to bless our efforts as we try to move into this next year. And serve him. Alex hates it when I put my glasses on, but I'm getting ready to. Because I can't read without them. <laughs> this morning, I was uh, trying to finish up, just kind of make sure I had my notes together. And um, I said, Lord, you know, I get so distracted with stuff that I'm supposed to do. Sometimes I forget I'm just supposed to be with you. And so... I kind of systematically read through the Bible, you know, kind of Genesis, Exodus, and I just kind of keep, keep doing that. And this morning, I said, I'm just going to slide everything else to the side. And I'm just going to read where I'm at. And I was in Numbers 10. And the Lord starts talking about two trumpets, two silver, silver trumpets, that they're going to be blown to draw the congregation together. 
And verses 8 and 9 say this, The priests shall blow the trumpets, and they shall be to you an ordinance forever throughout your generations. So just consider that trumpet being blown right now for this generation. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets, and you will be remembered before the Lord your God, and you will be saved from your enemies. That's all this is about this morning. I'm just blowing a trumpet to draw the congregation together. Let's pray. Just pray after me. Father. We love you, Lord. And we thank you for the church. So, Father, give us your heart and help us see the value of a body of believers worth dying for. That I'm gifted, I'm called, and I'm commissioned to bring heaven to earth with my brothers and sisters who I'm a part of that family. Lord, just help us do that. Help us walk in that, Father. I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ here today. I pray, Lord, that we would see the value of your church the way you see the value of your church. That we are adopted in and that you love us so very much. And so just move on our hearts, Father. Put us on your agenda. Don't let us, don't let us pull you down to ours, Lord. Pull us up to yours. We just want to be where you are, Lord. In Jesus' name.